pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the gift of praise, the gift of children, the gift of community, uh, and the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Check, check, check. Right. Oh, excuse me, my bad. Here we go. second to settle in and a and a huge thank you to the ladies who are hanging out with the kiddos today thank them for their bravery uh, so we are going to be um, as, as everybody's settling in here we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 30 today um, and I want to thank um, uh, Brent and Jennifer for coming and leading us in worship today um, it's always a blessing for me when I when I am preaching to to not have to worry about both aspects and um, and just be able to to participate and receive in the way that I was able to this morning. So thank you both. Um, it really is a huge blessing. And um, when Blake told me I was going to be preaching on this week, I kept asking God, please tell me something else to preach on so I don't have to do Deuteronomy, right? Uh, it's everybody's favorite book of the Bible. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be spending some time in today. But uh, then I, I looked at the passage, and, and, and really I got the easiest one of the whole book because this is just a summary of everything we've covered so far. Um, so, so this morning is kind of a, a little bit of review of, of what we've been uh, going through. Um, and, and typically, uh, we'll read the passage before we start, um, but we're actually going to be looking at it in big chunks and kind of breaking it down. I feel like that might be a little bit redundant, the way we're going to be approaching the passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles out, we're going to be working through starting in Deuteronomy chapter 29. But before we begin, I just want to go to the Lord and word of prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in community with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, and to approach you in song and worship, but also in the reading and the study of your word. I just ask that you would speak to us directly through your word this morning, and allow the Holy Spirit to help us understand it in a new way, that it would work its transforming power. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so starting in Deuteronomy 29, verse 1. 
It says, these are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel and the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. So that covenant that he's referring to is the covenant made with the Israelites at Mount Sinai back in Exodus, okay? So this covenant's already been made. The whole point of this book is reviewing this law, reviewing this covenant over again. Deuteronomy means second law. So here we come to the end of all of these laws being shared, uh, many of them ones that the Israelites had already heard, and, and Moses is summarizing this by restating the covenant that they had made with God. Verse 2, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread and you have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Cheyenne, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. We're going to stop right there. Moses is recounting to them many of the ways that God had been faithful recognizing, right, in verse 4, to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear that they will not truly recognize God's power in their lives without the help of God. We, we need him. That's how desperate we are for him. We need him to have faith in him. We cannot do that on our own. But then he, he also reminds them, your clothes have not worn out. Your sandals have not worn out. Uh, when he says, you've not eaten bread or drunk wine, they, they complained. What, we, we had better food back in Egypt. You're still alive, aren't you? The manna has sustained you. Uh, he's reminding them all these ways that God has sustained them. And, and the covenant is, is needing to be renewed because they violated the terms. This is why the 40 years is spent in the wilderness. This is a new generation. Many of these people were, were just children when this, the first covenant was made. And so now it's being renewed for them to pass on to their own children. It's clear looking back at all that God had done that he was on their side. Yet the Israelites were so forgetful, and we can be the same way. We have so many examples of the Israelites building monuments when God would do something of significance uh, in their journey, in their walk. They would build a monument, something visible, tangible that they could look to to remember God's faithfulness. And even still, they would forget. And we watch as even after this covenant is renewed, they continue to forget. But we do the same thing. This does not mean that we should not build monuments in our own lives. I, I think a very practical application anytime I see the Israelites doing this is, man, when God shows up in my life, I need to be writing it down somewhere, 
right? I may not set up a pile of stones or build an altar like they did, because that might not be super practical, but I, one way to build a monument in my life is just to write it down. And, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I'm, I'm, I'm really not very disciplined when it comes to journaling and, and writing things down, but I, I try to remember to do that because I do have this notebook that I can look back and see when I'm discouraged or when I think maybe, maybe God isn't there, I can look back and be like, this has happened before and he came through. He's been faithful. That's just one simple application that I see right off the bat. Moving on to verse 10, he says, you, you are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. There's this emphasis that nobody is exempt from the covenant, right? Uh, People who are here, people who aren't here, the guy who draws the water, like the janitor, everybody is included in this covenant. Nobody's exempt. And we've hard for us to understand this aspect of the Israelites' relationship with God, that it was communal, because we live in such an individualistic society. We think of a covenant with God or even a sin against God as simply between us and God rather than with us and the community of God's people. But the truth is that communal way that God called the Israelites to, to, to relate to him it is still applies to us today. The, if one of us is living in unrepentant sin, it does affect the whole community. And we'll see more about that as we continue. But, but God always addressed the Israelites corporately, right? And, and when we think about our own walk with God, we need to think about it in community with other believers, um, we should not let uh, the, the culture the, that is so individual, individualistic uh, creep into our church in a way that, that keeps us from relating to God as a body. Starting in verse 16, it says, You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold which were among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribes whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the God of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sword covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead, away to, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all of the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. 
And the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. And the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? And the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. So there's a lot there. Right? That's a long passage. What, what, what is his point? He's warning them against idolatry. We see why he, he makes so clear that no one is exempt from this covenant because he's saying, let not one root of bitterness, let not one uh, poisonous root rise up among you because it will affect the entire community. So one heart saying, I got this, I'm fine, right? I, I'll be okay, affects the whole community. And it does say that God will single that person out, but the judgment affects the entire community. The reason it is imperative that everyone in the crowd receives the covenant and even those not in the crowd is because they cannot afford to have one, even one root of idolatry among their midst. Right? When I dislocated my knee, uh, it, it affected my ability to function as a whole. It didn't matter that my arms and everything were fine. I, I wasn't able to get around and, and function the same way as I normally do. One part of my body not functioning is ultimately going to affect everything else, even if this is healthy, right? It affects my quality of life, and it's the same way in the body of Christ. Now, I want us to remember that I, I'm not calling us right, to, be, to, be, to be perfect because we know that we live in a fallen world. We're not going to carry out this law perfectly, but, but what I'm calling us to is, is not to allow unrepentant sin to remain in the body. So what that means is that we're open with each other about our struggles, about the sins that we're living in, right? Because there, there's going to be things that we're struggling with. But what's damaging is when we keep those things hidden. So what God's calling us to as a community of believers is to bring these things out to the light, to be open with one another as we walk this journey together. One of the biggest lies of the enemy that can keep us living in sin is the lie that this sin isn't hurting anybody else. It's, it's, it's just me, right? It, this doesn't affect anybody but me. I'll deal with it. That is a lie from the enemy. Our sin does have a ripple effect that hurts not just ourselves, but anyone who we are in relationship with. Because if we are hiding it, right, you may not see how that directly affects it, but here's how it directly affects every relationship you have, is if you're hiding that, that is an inauthentic relationship, right? You, you're living part of your life as a secret and, and no relationship, even, even the world knows that, that relationships can't last that way. 
And, and God takes this so seriously. And what he's telling them is if they mess up, right, he will wait for another generation and try again with them. Right? This is somebody they, they had just had to wait for 40 years. Okay? And he's saying, I'll wait another 40 if I have to. Right? He, he's sharing this scenario of, of what, what will happen if there is a root of, of a poisonous root amongst your midst. Your children will go on to say, it'll be clear to all the nations that judgment was cast upon you. And when people ask, your children, the next generation will say it was because the generation before us had idolatry in their hearts. They could not follow God. So there's this warning of, of you've seen it happen. You've seen how seriously I take this. I've waited for a whole new generation to carry out this covenant. I will do it again if I must. God is, is leaving no room for idolatry. Moses is challenging them as their exasperated leader, be the generation that gets it right. Please don't mess up again. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> and he's coming to the end of his journey anyway, but he, he's challenging them, right? So we have all of that, and, and then we get to, to my, my favorite is we're, as we go into chapter 30, uh, starting in verse 1, okay? When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live." And the Lord your God will put these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commands that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your father's. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Notice that word towards the beginning saying, when all of these things come upon you, that you will return. There's a finality with which it's spoken essentially a promise that you will mess this up, right? Here's the covenant before you, here's the consequences, and uh, you're going to mess up. You can't do it. But with that, also this promise that God will forgive you. And it's a beautiful thing because I, I think it's really easy to get bogged down in the law, and it's really easy to not see how much grace there is here. Because God sets a law before them, acknowledges that they're going to mess up, and promises to bring them anyway. He's committed to this, 
right? He'll take as many generations as possible to get it right, but he's not going to give up on the Israelites. They are his chosen people. So I hope we don't miss that as we're, we're seeing uh, the law, because it can be a lot of like, what, what does this mean, right? But, but Moses is, is summarizing and simplifying it here for us. And, and as he summarizes the law in Israel's covenant before God, it, it is much simpler than we can make it looking at it at first glance. How, how do we possibly carry out this law, right? And, and, and Moses makes it simple for us. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. Right, that might sound like, like an oversimplification. It might sound kind of cheesy, but that really is how he's summarizing the law. How do you carry out this law? You love the Lord your God with everything that you are. Right, Because the ultimate point of the law is not a mere keeping of the law itself. And we see this later in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 1, verse 11 says... The God is saying to the Israelites, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. He is addressing an Israel that was fulfilling all of the sacrifices and all of the festivals, and he's saying, I'm sick of it. Why? Because they were doing it out of a sense of obligation. They were doing it without any love whatsoever, right? So they checked the list, and we can do the same thing. But when we come in here and we pray and we sing songs and we study the word, but we're just doing it to check off a list, it disgusts God. He, he doesn't want a list of good things that we've done. You know what he wants? He wants the list of all the times we've messed up. He wants us to be honest with him so that he can cover those things in his blood and his forgiveness and his grace and have a relationship with us. So really what's being revealed in the law is not religiosity, it's not legalism, it is the love of God. It is the gospel. Jesus sums up the law the same way that Moses did, right? Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees um, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, of course, uh, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. He sums up the law using the same words that Moses uses. He's pulling this right out of De Deuteronomy, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall love your neighbors yourself. We've seen that as we've gone through the law. These laws that protect the strangers and the aliens and the widows and the orphans. Like God shows his compassion in the law. And so love God and love your neighbor. And there's a connection that's made in this summary of the law 
and, and the summary of the covenant, there's a connection made between love and obedience, right? So when I say that the summary of the law is love, and when I say that we, that we don't need to fall into legalism, I'm not saying that that means we can just do whatever we want, right? There's still this obedience factor that's connected to that idea of love. Jesus would later make this same connection in the Gospel of John. We'll look at this in a second, but what I want you to, to understand is that obeying the Lord more will not lead you to loving him more. It's not like just by doing all of these things, all of a sudden this love is going to grow in you. It actually works quite the opposite way. Because that's an obedience that flows out of a sense of obligation. Rather, loving the Lord will lead to you obeying him more. Right? That's, a sense, that, that's an obedience that flows out of a sense of relationship, right? of intimacy with Christ. It's a very, very different order there. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Right? Very, very simple, very simple concept there. And then going on, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17 and 20, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus himself, as this new covenant is coming to light, is emphasizing the law. Right, you think about the Sermon of the Mount as a whole. He, he's prefacing it with this because the, the crowd that he's speaking to, that audience, the law meant everything to them. And he makes it clear that he's not there to replace that or teach something different. Rather, he, he is the fulfillment of that. And he proceeds to, to flip the law on its head to, to, to show the crowd that it's not nearly as much about the action as it is about the heart behind the action. Right, uh, most of the laws deal with how we relate to others, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So it, it's not just a, a checklist, right? And, and he, he, he sets an even higher standard for them. You may not have murdered, but if you've hated someone in your heart, it's the same thing. You may not have committed adultery, but if you've lusted after someone in your heart, it is the same thing. And rather than getting rid of the law, as many of the Pharisees were accusing him of doing, and he's actually setting a higher standard than they ever did. One that is not based on external behavior, but the internal being. The very nature of the human heart. Right? If anyone in this crowd was still wondering if it was possible to keep the whole law, uh, he removed any doubt. Right? People are like, okay, I can't do this. Right? I've already failed. While simultaneously, through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, Jesus was making it finally attainable. Right? That sentence there, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must have the, a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. How do we do that? What does that mean? Jesus and Moses both summarized the law with the same ultimate point you will fail, 
and God will forgive you. That doesn't mean we stay there. We're still called to obedience, right? But ultimately, we're covered by his grace. So so finishing Deuteronomy chapter 30, it says, starting in verse 11, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. And this sounds kind of like the achieving the righteousness of the Pharisees thing, right? He's, He's saying, it's not too hard. You're like, what do you mean? How could anybody do this? Moses goes on, it is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. He's simplifying it for them. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, there it is again, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commands and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Right? We've been exploring the law, and there's so much wisdom to be found in it. Some of the laws are very direct, do this, don't do that. Some of them are are more just general. If you encounter this scenario, here's the attitude with which you should approach it. And there's so much wisdom in it. I I think if if we can approach the law in a similar way we approach the Proverbs, what, what is the wisdom that God's trying to teach me in this? There's much that we can get out of it. But if we miss this part, this summary here, then we really are wasting our time. The law isn't nearly as complicated as it seems. Love God, love your neighbor, and don't worship idols. Right? He's summing it up in that. Love God, love your neighbor, and don't worship idols. I'm not saying that that's easy, because it's not. But I'm saying it's not very complicated. Right? He's saying everything, all these laws that we've been going over, right? they'd been standing out there for who knows how many hours. It was probably hot, and they're just hearing this being read, right? I've been reading some long passages today. Well, imagine me just sitting here and reading the whole book. Like, you'd all be asleep by the time we got to the end. They've been sitting through this all day, and Moses is like, okay, okay. You're not going to remember all that. It's fine. Love God. Love your neighbor. Don't worship idols. It's pretty simple, and it's the same thing that we're called to as believers today. The ultimate question being asked by the law as a whole is, who do you worship? Who do you worship? The story of the Israelites shows us that if our focus is on keeping the law, but is void of love, that we will fail. But the story of Christ tells us that if our our focus is on loving God with everything that we are, that we will experience life and life abundantly. Jesus has fulfilled the law and he continues to call us to obedience. So as we try and figure out what it looks like to obey Christ, remember this summary of the law. Love God, love your neighbor, 
don't worship idols. Right? And, and it seems like something so unattainable by, by the grace of God. Right? That question at the beginning. It's not in heaven that we will say, who will go and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? It's not over the sea that we may ask, who may bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Jesus is saying, I, I didn't bring it to you so that you could hear it and do it. You can't. I bring it to you and I fulfill it. I do it on your behalf. And that's the beauty of this, that right here in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, there, there's, some, there's some popular pastors out there who have said, ah, we really don't need the Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us. We're just in the New Testament. Let's just focus on the gospel. This is the gospel, right? It's right here in Deuteronomy. And it is a hopeful message that there is grace for our failings, there is forgiveness where we fall short, and that there is an abundant life that God calls us to in relationship with him and with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. I ask that you would help us to live out the law by authentically having a relationship with you and with others, and that there would be no other idols before us. Father, purify our hearts and our minds. We want to worship you and you alone. We ask that you would be with us in the rest of our time here today. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. If this is your first time being with us, we split into groups um, of about three or four, and we pray. And so today we're going to be praying for Jordan and Scarlet Winds, who are missionaries that we support. Um, and they uh, are in the middle of finding a, a permanent living situation in Malau. Also, Scarlet is expecting a child, which is super exciting. Um, but we just want to pray for their health. Um, and, and also that as they're meeting with their team and, and figuring out all the details, that they would find a permanent living situation and, and just that that process of moving in there would be smooth. Um, so we'll, we'll focus on prayer for them today. And then just anything else that's on your heart. Um, like I said earlier, we got to be open with each other. We can't be trying to hide stuff. So this is a safe space for us to come together and to just pray for one another. Um, so we'll take the next few minutes to do that.